genuine. People can smell and they can call you out when you're being bullshit. Hey everyone, you're listening to the 2M Creative Labs podcast. This podcast is about improvement through learning from the story and process of creatives as they pursue their passions. This episode features Reed Valmstead, a photographer and videographer living in Winnipeg. He shares his progression and journey towards photography and filmmaking and how he thinks about storytelling for both his personal projects and co-pilots. We also get practical advice from him for growing your social media following. Hope you get a lot of value from this episode. I'm going to count the number of swears you have and like leave a count do it. somewhere. I'll do, a, I'll do like a swear jar. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All the proceeds go to like cancer care. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of 2M Creative Labs podcast. I just wanted to say a big shout out and thanks to our special guest here today. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Cool. Uh, my name is Reed Valmstead. I'm a photographer and videographer that lives here in Winnipeg. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Sorry to make you wait so long. I know you reached out to me last, I think November or December, and it is now November a year later. So I screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we made it work somehow. We made it happen. <laughs> it's funny because it was a very chance encounter of just like, I was hang- I trying to meet up with Rob and really like, even to pick up some of uh, Cal Barteski's art right, at the time. and the pop-up. Yeah, she was doing a pop-up. And so I walk up to Rob because I, I invited him to the podcast. And he's like, yo, you should meet Reed. And I'm like, I have no idea who Reed is. And so this is the one thing that um, I noticed is like, you've you've developed a pretty big following around yourself and like the brand that you're building as well. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who the, <laughs> you are. That's fair. <laughs> I like that. That's what yeah. I want to be known. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess just to kind of get started first, usually we ask, um, so how did you get started into photography and uh, videography? Yeah, that seems to be like the classic question of, you know, kind of the... Yeah, for those that don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was a kid, I would always kind of play around with my, my parents' cell phones. And at the time, that was like a, a Blackberry or, or Palm Pilot. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, so I would always steal their phones and just kind of make home videos with my friends or make... I was really into soccer as a kid, so I used to make soccer highlight videos that still exist on YouTube. They're on private and they're very embarrassing. And I will never take those out of the archive, <laughs> but I keep them there so I can look at myself and be humbled. <laughs> uh, so I started with that. And then um, when I finished high school, I went to Grand Park High School here in Winnipeg. I was at a wedding social and I ended up winning a DSLR camera, which is wild because that was my first professional camera in true Manitoban fashion. I went and at a wedding social and that was awesome. So I ended up starting to make kind of really shitty YouTube videos and they were just awful. But again, um, (laughs) they were a progression and they kind of like taught me how to use a camera and everything else. So I kind of learned that I had a passion for this and I learned that I really wanted to do something with photography or videography or just making things. Um, So I ended up using all of my university savings to buy the best camera on the market that I could at the time. And that was a Canon 5D Mark II with a kit lens. And the only reason why I bought that was because it was used to shoot a very small part of Iron Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was fun and all. Um, so I ended up using my university savings for that. Um, so I had to find a way to make my money back because I was still going to the University of Winnipeg in the fall. Um, so I had like two months. So I started to put up Kijiji ads and just like telling friends that I'm shooting weddings. So I started booking weddings and to be honest, I don't know why people booked me in the beginning because it was terrible. Like it was just like the most inconsistent, terrible lighting thing I could have done. And, um, 
but I kind of pushed through and I kind of got better with that and started booking more weddings. And then um, weddings carried me through university. And that's kind of how I paid for my schooling was shooting weddings in the summer. And I got to the point, I think I was shooting 27 weddings in a wedding season, uh, both video and photo. At the um, same time or? Uh, sometimes, sometimes oh. I'd have to hire a crew. And okay. this past summer was my last summer shooting weddings, which is a very weird full circle moment for me. Um, but I'd have full crews at weddings this summer because I have so to do cool. photo and video. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of led me into where I am today, shooting kind of commercial and shooting landscape and adventure photography mm -hmm. and videos. It's interesting the the common first step that people do is wedding photography. <laughs> and like, that's where I first like really got into it as yeah. well is like, oh, you make enough money to pay all of your gear back. And yeah. you know, you get a lot of good practice on just everything from like details to landscapes to portraits, right? It's a very like big task. It's a huge task. And the pressure is just absurd. <laughs> For weddings I, I feel like now I, I i handle it better because i've done it for so long but in the early days it's like you're capturing these people's most important day of their lives for some of these people and you're hoping that your battery doesn't die you're hoping that your memory card doesn't fail and when you're young and you're a broke student you can't afford the top end gear that's not going to fail you can't afford to have backups mm -hmm. um so it's kind of run and gun and we i bootlegged it a bit um but i'm really happy i did and I'm also really happy to be done with weddings right now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. And like, yeah. it's super weird. <clears throat> I always like I get that pressure too, where you're like, oh, this is like one of the biggest moments of their lives, right? And in the back of my mind, I'll always jokingly tell myself like, they can always get married again, and then I can <laughs> like just offer like a half off their next wedding. And sometimes people, I've actually had two situations in my wedding career where. The couple have split up before I even finish editing the wedding There's video. There's no way. Yeah. So like there was a few sus moments where you can kind of see something was up during the wedding. Um, yeah. So that happened. <laughs> and I was like, you still want the video? Do yeah. you want, you paid me. Like, what yeah, do you want exactly. me to, do you want me to burn it? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Oh God. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. But... Yeah. It can happen and it does happen. Mm. So that's wild. Yeah. So then from weddings um, how did you transition into a more commercial and especially like the lifestyle and adventure? Uh... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, to be honest, I feel like when you're in the commercial space and you're in the wedding space, both are kind of doing their own thing, but they're both kind of jealous of each other and they don't understand how to make that switch. Because I find that often some of the best wedding photographers, that is their niche and they will stay in there and they are fantastic at what they do and they're passionate and they and, and they care about each couple a hundred percent which is really tough to do when you're shooting you know two three a weekend mm -hmm. for four or five months um and then commercial you tend to get i'd say less clients or less often works you're not shooting three three four shoots a week you're doing one big project that you're prepping for and then you're shooting it and then you're, then you're in post-production and kind of going through the editing process with with the client and trying to get make it right um something that they're 100 percent happy with so when I made that jump, it wasn't just like a aha moment where I woke up and I was like, I'm going to shoot commercial today. And that's, that's what I am, or I'm going to be an adventure photographer. And that's what I'm going to do now. It was all just kind of a mix of different opportunities that popped up for me. So when I was in university, I think I was in third year, I graduated from UW um, from business and marketing there. Um, I was working at Ikea at the time. And at this point I kind of kept taking photos and like, 
videos and stuff by myself, but I wasn't really pushing the commercial portfolio. Um, and I got an email while, while I was working at Ikea and it was from Budweiser. And so I just kind of assumed that it was a spam email. So I deleted it and went back on my shift and probably shouldn't have been on my phone. And then all of a sudden I got a phone call from a phone number I didn't recognize, but I was working at the time, so I couldn't answer it. So then I got a text and they're like, hey, my name's blah, blah, blah from the company that uh, manages this promotions for Budweiser. And um, basically they heard about my name through a friend who recommended me because their photographer missed a flight to Winnipeg for a campaign that they're shooting at the Jets game. So I ended up, yeah, landing my first commercial client was Budweiser. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, so they were doing a marketing activation at the Winnipeg Jets game where they had people with red lights on their heads and it was an entire section and they hired me to capture that. And although it was kind of an insignificant activation, to be honest, just having that name in your port portfolio automatically kind of just like pushes you to that next level. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a great opportunity. That's super big, right? And yeah. like having definitely those big names, it's something that like I've heard a lot of people encourage you, like even if you're working for somebody just like at the dealership or whatever, like when somebody looks at your website or wherever you're using to uh, be found, like seeing Budweiser or like Ford, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like that's a very eye-catching thing for most uh, potential people that will hire you. For sure. Yeah. And I feel like one thing that I was kind of taught by my parents growing up or even, you know, some of my favorite mentors or closest professors in university was make every interaction with people who you don't know count you know sometimes you pass people on the street or you talk to someone at a coffee shop um what's the point of boxing yourself in what's the point of not kind of like saying what you do and just having small talk because sometimes it leads to those opportunities and for me i'd say probably 60 percent of any um, opportunity that I've had has come from that. Just like people saying like, oh, you're looking for uh, someone to do a video. I know someone, I just met someone. His name's Reed, here's his info. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that's really important. And I feel like that along with having, as you said, kind of like a nice portfolio piece where you can see your work. Those are the two essential things to get that kind of work. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So then with things about travel, mm -hmm. so I think really the most I've like before, obviously, like I've done, you know, did enough research before this <laughs> podcast, but prior to like actually meeting you, um, you, I've seen most of your work just on Instagram and just a lot of like travel mm -hmm. within like the city and within like even Churchill or yeah, Churchill just anywhere the around best. the, I've never been. You got um, it, man. Yeah. Use those aeroplane points. It's worth it. <laughs> it's so remote. Yeah, it is. When it, when it gets a little bit warmer, I'll probably head up there. <laughs> Good but, luck. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have like a month or two. Oh my God. It's worth it though. Churchill yeah. is a magical place. Mm -hmm. um, it's so big now, like with adventure and mm -hmm. like travel and everybody wants to be the next Sam Calder oh, or... Yeah. Yeah. get into the space because you it is a very luxurious and awesome thing to have the opportunity to do is like you know i'm gonna be going out to travel for work and like shooting all of this like super dope content mm -hmm. and maybe i'm more curious to if you don't have the capacity to travel all the time how do you sort of build that portfolio so that people can look at you and say like hey like you have some really cool travel photos, mm -hmm. even for something like, oh, it's just Manitoba. For most of us, we feel that it's not always the most. We write ourselves off. Yeah, have exactly. Some confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so how would you kind of build something more to yeah. draw yourself in that direction? That's fair. Um, so for me with travel, it's always been something that I've put first. 
And I've said that since early on, um, you know, growing up, my family didn't have any money, lots of money at all. And um, you kind of realize pretty quick how much of how grateful you should be when you're able to have that opportunity to travel. And when you travel to other countries, you know, I've been to Africa twice. I've been to Southeast Asia, South America. And like you, you go to these places and you see how people are living and they're completely happy. They're complete. I've um, when I went to South Africa, I worked in a township called Kailicha with the University of Winnipeg. And you you interact with these children that live in shipping containers and they're still 100 percent happy with their life and they're humble and they're grateful that you're there. And it's like the fact that people around the world can be happy. It's like, oh, it's. It, it gives you an experience that you can't get by mm -hmm. staying in your city perimeter, right? Um, so travel's always been a priority. I took a year off when I was in school just to go to Thailand. That was my first big trip with my girlfriend. And then once I finished school, the big trip was um, to go to South America. And a lot of it, people are like, oh, travel's expensive, travel's inexcessive. I worked three jobs, sometimes four jobs at a time to make sure that I could do that as well as pay for my tuition. I was fortunate enough to live at home, so I didn't have that expense at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but there's always a way. You can like, whether it's waking up early or staying up a bit later, there's always a way to kind of figure that out. But in terms of actually building an account that's based on travel or adventure, I feel like there's a fine line because you see the Sam Colders, you see like the, the Garrett King short stash, you see mm -hmm. all these huge Instagram accounts or influencers that their career now is based on this industry that didn't exist five, six years ago, right? So they've kind of carved their own path on how it should be, but then people look at this and they idolize it. And they think that's the only way to success. You have kids growing up that want to be YouTube creators, which is great, but it's also like, what's your game plan? What's your business plan? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to market it? Um, so they'd see the end product that you put out, which often has to be a perfect piece of content. So you look at something and it's a perfect sunrise, perfect lighting, which is awesome. That's, I love that. It gives me chills. But you have to look at the behind the scenes and you have to look at kind of the struggle that you have to go through to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's not trying to, uh, it's not trying to copy what they're doing, but oftentimes it's, it's easy to say, don't copy someone else's content, but you have to kind of emulate and take different aspects that, that you like yeah. and build off there. So for people that want to build that, I feel like my biggest tip is just to kind of pick a niche that you want, whether, you know, it's landscapes or whether it's, uh, urban or whether it's style fashion pick your niche stick to it and be consistent with it because as soon as you start jumping and your tone shift or your color shift or you're just like posting inconsistently which i'm notorious for yeah, yeah. i was um, like when your last post was like hmm. yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst for it I'll, I'll be honest i used to post once or twice a day that's for crazy. two years and that's when my account was really kind of growing and now it's it's just tough to put that first when you have so, real life in front of you sometimes right for sure well, that's totally. more important <laughs> exactly in my opinion and i think that makes sense is to kind of stick to a particular niche that you want to um like focus on and draw those potential clients right and that's something that i in my personal instagram page it's like oh i'm jumping back from landscape to portrait and it is something that i'm wavering between and i'm not yet quite sure it's tough and i used to post every cool project i did and you know i have photos or pieces of content that people will never see outside of my circle of friends because it won't fit what I'm trying to, you know, market or brand myself as. But mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's same with everyone. You have content that just doesn't fit and that's okay. And it doesn't have to fit, but just kind of know your aesthetic and stick to it. Mm -hmm. For the friends that you have around you, again, once going back to building this big following, 
like has this thing kind of changed with interactions with regular people just like day-to-day -day people was like oh it look it's read it's, uh, you're kind of like a big celebrity or is it oh just God. more of a um no nothing's changed in that sense my close friends um i feel like they're the ones who kind of understand the most and they understand i'm just kind of the same person and i feel like you know i think i have maybe like fifteen thousand or just under on instagram followers and it's big for Winnipeg, but in general, it's it's not. And if you take yourself too serious with that, oh boy, you're in trouble, right? Um, there have been times that have been crazy. So, you know, I've been, you know, in a different country and people have recognized me. Or I've been in an airport and people have come up to me. And that's shocking. For me, that is something where you don't realize how small the world is until that happens. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific time. that The first time it ever happened, I was in, I was at a half moon party. Um, I may or may not have been intoxicated in Thailand and someone from the UK came up and recognized me from Instagram. No way. And that was just absurd. So that's happened a few times. Um, but yeah, I feel like this, don't let it get to your head. Mm -hmm. It's an app. <laughs> it is an app for sure. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to get caught up in it. Like mm -hmm. even for me personally. And it's, for sure. it's crazy to think that like your world kind of shrunk in that way. Cause like I always say like the world's pretty damn big and the odds of you being recognized around the world are fairly slim, but totally. I guess in this kind of line of work, once you're building that following, you do have a... Yeah, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's hard to associate that number with real people. So let's say 15,000 people, for example, that fills our entire arena here in Winnipeg. 15,000 people will fill the Bell MTS place. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, would I ever want to speak to a crowd that big with a mic? No. But every time you put out content, suddenly you have that responsibility where I don't want to do stupid shit. I don't want to like, and even going on that on a quick tangent is I had to be really careful because suddenly when I crossed that 10K threshold, I'll say, suddenly I had brands reaching out and I, you know, someone like Ford, they're going to look at my content and they're going to look at what I put out and they want to make sure it's appropriate with their brand. Mm -hmm. So you kind of like, I, I'm pretty strict to not putting alcohol or, or anything on my feed. Um, because that's something that it doesn't really represent me as a person. And also it's like, why, mm -hmm. why shoot yourself in the foot in that sense? Right. Exactly. I mean, unless you're trying to work for Budweiser again, <laughs> True, only <laughs> Budweiser. <laughs> that's a very good point. And I think once you realize that you are building this following, like as anybody, it doesn't matter if you have 15,000 or like 500 people, like those are people that are watching you. Mm -hmm. You do have the responsibility to, I guess, be a better representation of who you are or just be a genuine version of yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't think it's ingenuine to not post alcohol, for example, because that's not something that defines me as a person, mm -hmm. but being genuine, people can smell and they can call you out when you're being bullshit. But yeah, people can, people can see when you're being ingenuine and I feel like this is very important and the most successful people have, um, just kind of stuck to the roots and stuck to what they're good at. Mm -hmm. That's why they're successful. Absolutely. It's easier that way, right? And totally. you don't waver. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk briefly about Copilot and mm -hmm. the kind of content that you guys are creating and how it's similar but different to what we're making in terms of what we're showing. Yeah. Kind of just like what's going on, um, showing a little bit more of the rawness to it, but also still kind of trying to provide value in some yeah. way. Talk to me a little bit about how your business has been going. And For sure the kind of content that your guys are creating now. Yeah, so to give a quick kind of intro to Copilot, um, Copilot was started with my one of my best friends. His name's Austin Mackay. He's also a photographer and videographer. 
arguably bigger than I am. <laughs> I knew him before I did. Yeah, fair you. enough. <laughs> um, he's a superstar here in Manitoba, especially. He used to be with Travel Manitoba and, you know, he's done some great work. So we kind of, over the years, we went to high school together. He was a year younger than me. I wasn't really um, close friends with him while I was in high school. But when he came to university, we were in the same intro classes together. So we ended up chatting. And, you know, I'd always hire him to help me shoot photo or video gigs. And, you know, I, I'd always help him out with his projects. So it kind of got to the point where it was logical to start a company together. So about two years ago, I remember we were at the Forks talking to each other. And we're like, why don't we start something? And, you know, kind of what, what would that look like? So we spent many nights um, in his parents' basement or, you know, at the Starbucks and Academy there being laptop warriors, just trying to, you know, figure out what we want to represent and how we want to make it different than what exists and how we want to make it bigger than Winnipeg itself. Not saying that it's a bad thing to be as big as Winnipeg. Winnipeg is awesome, but just kind of making it a brand that's just like, it doesn't matter where you are. We represent the same thing. So... For us a co-pilot, we're very passionate on storytelling. And that sounds kind of very generic and bullshit, but that is what we represent to the core. And whether that's through photo or video or through uh, websites we create for clients or through just like different pieces of written copy, everything has to be storytelling based. And that's kind of what it always comes back to. And then in terms of what you're asking for kind of like who we represent or what we represent for ourselves and kind of the content that we want to put out is we have our client side and we do lots of commercial work. We do lots of creative projects. We have some cool stuff coming up that I cannot wait to, to shoot or just develop. Um, but for the, for the brand itself is the content. We want to kind of show the behind the scenes. We want to show um, when we're doing a commercial shoot, what that looks like. Because a lot of people don't get a see into that world often. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just having someone film it while we're, we're on set, it's kind of funny to see how we interact with each other and interact with whether it's actors or we, you know, we have people on cameras, we have people on lighting. So kind of showing that and our thought process, because we think that's something that's um, an added value to people that would watch it. And also just kind of sharing our personal um, stories and our personal skill sets that we have with photography or videography. And then another huge aspect of that is to kind of showcase, you know, some of our good friends that we work with in this industry, whether you're a photographer, you do a podcast, um, you're an artist, just kind of just like profiling them and just sharing their story. Cause I think that's very important. And that's the thing I going back to how we talked about short stash or Sam Colder is that nobody really gets to see the behind the scenes of what happened when he did that backflip, like how many cameras are out there, right? Or like, how many drones he has circling around his head while he's backflipping off a cliff. Exactly. How many people try to do the same backflip off a cliff and hurt themselves? <laughs> Cause they want to be like Sam Colder. It's really cool to kind of have the brand as your, the brand that you guys are creating showcase all of those things. And it's, is it ever weird to kind of watch your guys's like interactions with <laughs> actors or with yourselves even and see kind of like, oh, we do that all the time. Totally. Kind of thing, yeah. Some, so much of the, the ways we interact with each other is autopilot. So we don't even realize we're saying it or even our body language when I'm recording something and I have the camera in front of me. I make weird faces and I'm trying to get the actor or get whoever the subject is to do a, do an action or show an emotion. So I'm trying to get them to mirror it. And I look like an idiot, but I didn't realize that until probably about last week. So <laughs> it's been <laughs> so a long good. journey. That's so good. Have you ever found anybody that's been following your guys' brand? Say like, oh, that's really cool to see what you guys are actually doing behind the scenes, how things actually work, maybe even inspire them to like go towards that direction of creative. 
I feel like there's been a bunch of local business owners or local just creators that we've been in contact with recently. We just did a brand summit for Travel Manitoba out in Riding Mountain National Park uh, last month. And basically what we did with that, we had to do a live showcase with a bunch of directors and people who kind of manage the brands for different communities and cities all across the province. Mm -hmm. And we had to showcase our abilities to grow an Instagram account live in front of all these people. So it was kind of stressful. Yeah. (laughs) So we ended up having Explore Gimli and we had the idea of doing an epic helicopter giveaway. So we ended up doing that and their account took off and thank God it worked. (laughs) Um, The pressure is on. But at that event, we got to link up with some of the biggest business owners and most creative business owners and community leaders and thought leaders in our community and in our city. And just seeing that we're at an eye to eye level is amazing. And you can bounce ideas and feedback off everyone. And that's just such a good feeling versus um, I feel like oftentimes people think that they're not good enough to play in a certain field, right? Or they, they're looking up at people. And you know, it's okay to idolize people or idolize businesses, but you're all human, right? And you can always just kind of have that coffee and you can just make that conversation and make that interaction because at the end of the day, people just want the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's a really vague butterfly answer, but oh, for sure, it's what it is. And I mean, I'll get back to the helicopter giveaway in a second because I didn't get picked in his fucking bullshit. It was actually just a ploy. Nobody won a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. But um, even talking off the record, we were speaking about not really feeling up to snuff when it comes to speaking on something like a podcast or an interview, even for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the one fortunate thing of doing something like this podcast for me is you do get to have these one-on-ones with somebody or like, you know, have a group of them come here and you recognize that they're not as like what you kind of put them on and like, they're great and that's, that's real, Yeah. but it doesn't mean that you can't have those interactions totally. with them. Right. And it's, I think it's nice to kind of humanize your brand in a way Yeah. and something Definitely. that like I'm all for it and that's why we kind of do like weekly videos and like showcase a lot of behind the scenes on our stories even as simple as that because it really builds well one like a lot of trust around your brand and I imagine like most local businesses are more likely to approach you guys not because you have, not because you guys have Austin McKay and you like mm-hmm. doing all the work but it's because oh they're a lot more relatable right yeah and th- you basically just hit the nail on the head is that that is our goal is to try to show a personality with our brand, with our content. But also when we're making content for clients, we want to showcase that story, but we want to show it in a way that's unique and different and kind of shows off their personality mm-hmm. and shows the rawness of a story. Right. So, yeah, that was a great explanation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I feel, um, I feel very proud of that now. Yeah. You said something there that reminded me of kind of just like the internet as a whole. The internet is so saturated right now. And you know, you have a bunch of online gurus that tell you what to do or buy into their their pyramid scheme. And to be honest, I think they're a bunch of entrepreneurs. You have, of course, people that are very successful and know what they're doing, but you have people like Gary Vee, who's successful, who's just like his job and he makes tons of money off just like people trying to be like him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's very saturated and it's very tough to find genuine interactions and people online. And that's kind of where we're at. And that's why we're just trying to push so hard and creating content that is genuine mm-hmm. and actually means something rather than trying to sell you something. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to kind of see that be more of a thing. And now, and I mean, I'm not trying to get all negative, but it does make you a little, for me, it makes me a little more cynical as when somebody says, 
genuine and authentic and it's a very big thing but once you kind of see what actual content you're putting out that's when you recognize oh no they were legit and that's exactly, exactly what they mean i agree so the helicopter thing <laughs> it's interesting in a way and like i've thought about it too when it comes to like growing an instagram page and it's one thing we've noticed is a lot of businesses do these giveaways and it, it works really well yeah for anybody that's you know, a creative trying to take off their business for somebody like myself, a giveaway of a helicopter isn't the most practical. No, I get that. Right. Unless I get, you know, somebody saying custom helicopters, yo guys. Yeah. Like, what's up? Custom helicopters. If you're uh, <laughs> looking for somebody to give away your helicopter. Yeah. I volunteer. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> it's like, what is something that's a little more practical maybe to kind of, and yeah, I love if that even, question if it even is important to kind of do something that big, you know? Yeah. So what we tell our clients, cause we often have clients that don't have um, the resources available to get a helicopter or, you know, have a giant giveaway. Um, doesn't mean that you can't give away something to your audience that is special and that you'll get traction on. We live in Manitoba where people love coupons. They're cheap. They'll have anything for free. So what I'd say for that is let's say your business, for example, you kind of look at people that are at the same level as you online or maybe a step ahead of you, maybe a step larger than you. Cause you don't want to go for the big dogs because it's very hard to kind of give them something that you can leverage, give them something um, back that they deserve. So instead of going for an account that let's say has 50,000 followers, because often for them, what do they get in return from that? Mm -hmm. You want to look for people that maybe have like 5,000 followers, 10,000 followers, or, you know, something where you can still give them, genuine followers or genuine interaction from your account and then from there in terms of an actual giveaway and what you're going to give away from that it doesn't have to be a helicopter ride what we recommend especially if it's a business owner we could often just give away a gift card or an experience for their business because that really costs them nothing from their bottom line um, that's something where it doesn't matter if people buy that or not it's kind of if they're an operating business they're already operating so that's the one recommendation that we use all the time for our clients and for giveaways, we've had the most success with one of our one of our clients, Asazippi Ski Ski Area and Resort. Um, they're fantastic and they're so fun to work with because they kind of give us the creative freedom to do whatever we want to do. And some of our content is very out there, but um, it's fun. So with giveaways for them, they're a ski hill. They're going to operate no matter what. So if we give away lift passes, that's not really costing the business owner money, and they're saving money on something that they'd have to put into a digital ad or put into a traditional media buy. Mm -hmm. So why not try it, right? So in your case, I feel like I'd look at specific businesses or brands that are kind of aligned with what you're doing and then offer a way that you can provide a benefit from your end to them. And people are just send them a message, say, hey, want to go for coffee and chat about this or to send them an intro email. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that's definitely worked for us when it comes to bringing on podcast guests. And that's one interesting that I've always wondered from people, and maybe you can give it a little bit of an insight onto this, is what is it that compels people to say, like, you know, I'm down to get on the podcast from this nobody that messaged us out of the blue or like walk to us at a booth? You know? I think, um, like I've said, I've never been on a podcast and I've said no to many podcasts. And why I said yes to you um, was your initial interaction. It wasn't um, something where it seemed like you were talking to me to get something out of me. It was, you asked me like how it was going and, and we chatted for a bit and then finally you kind of brought it up. It was a very genuine interaction and I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And also you understood when I was busy for the last year. It's been a crazy last year for me and I don't really sleep, <laughs> but you understood that and I really appreciated that. And I feel like a lot of people should take notes on how to kind of interact with people in that sense. Yeah, having a genuine interaction. I do remember like, what we talked about, well, because I just got this camera at the time and we kind of talked and gushed a right. little bit over like the gear. And I had the 85 1.2 mm -hmm. at a time, oh, which was love that. a fantastic lens, but my God, it was so hard to get anything like yeah. sharp because it it's was just, 1.2. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's madness. Yeah. I, I, I put that lens away actually and got something. I got the 1635. But, nice. Great video yeah, lens. I know. Um, speaking of video. <laughs> Like that transition. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So when it comes to storytelling, and it's something that isn't the most, I guess, easily approached yep. when it comes to even like teaching it. And I'm doing my best to kind of, Serena's trying to get into video and I'm trying to explain like all these things that how to tell a compelling story, but still have something that looks cinematic or yep. like it makes sense in your brain. And you have all these little like pieces that you kind of try to fit in. How do you guys approach storytelling when it comes to your either your client work or what you for your guys' brand? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I like to do, I kind of write out on my notepad. You should see my notepad on my phone. I'll show you right now quick. Nice. I am the type of person where in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and just write down ideas. No way. So I have... Oh my God. Like it goes. See, I, I, I've held back myself from filling up my notepad, but I feel like not seeing that, I I'm like, I, I, should just, I should just go in. Because there's ones I don't see. But for me, that's kind of where the storytelling starts. You have that initial spark or that initial idea, especially for my personal projects, whether it's a quick piece of Instagram content that I want to make for myself, or maybe it's like a short film that I want to write. Um, for our clients, they come to us often with a problem or with a specific event or a specific purpose. So what we tend to do with that, we write down their main idea first and same thing with what I do. So let's say if they have a specific, they want to get, they want to attract clients to come to a certain event for whatever's going on. You write down the main concept and then from there you write down different things that support that. So you obviously have the main fundamental, whether it's someone talking or you're explaining that with an animation or you're kind of just like telling exactly what the story is. But then you have to think of the different components that support that, you know, whether that's visual, what's going on uh, at a wedding, for example, what's going on at a wedding besides the wedding itself. And like, could you list examples of like what's going on in a wedding um, in terms of B-roll, for example? Mm, right. So things like the details or like mm -hmm. cake cutting or even something as simple as just like other people interacting with each other and trying to look for the groom in the exactly. middle of like exactly. him getting so drunken. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, you're trying to look at the visual components that support the story. And that's something that's very important and making that cinematic and beautiful. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, let's say, settings on a camera, often it's very hard to run and gun. But the more you do it, you're able to just like, oh, I'm outside. This is the settings I need let's do this. Oh, I'm going inside. Let's change this quick. Mm -hmm. And just kind of thinking ahead and kind of thinking of those visual storytelling components before you even show up to the shoot or with commercial clients is pre-production. We have it all written out beforehand and we know exactly what we're looking for to support that story mm -hmm. before we even shoot. Yeah. That's awesome. It definitely makes things a lot easier once you have like a pre-production mm -hmm. actually done. It's something that I've like, in the first like six months of doing like regular vlogs, it wasn't something I thought about as much because I said, you know, I have a rough, the main idea of what I want to say in this video, but I have no idea what else I'm doing or like what supports it during the interaction. But 
recently the viewers could see that mm-hmm. and you get very flustered or you get very like confused and you're in your head thinking right yeah. and your video comes out super weird and like why is this so weird all of a sudden because there's no intention what's the purpose exactly yeah. videos are tough in that sense especially when you're looking at videos of yourself talking you're just like oh boy <laughs> i can like so much like dump footage of just me talking in front of the camera and nothing ever seems to come out right and no i get that insanity but it's it's a good way to and like one thing that i noticed uh, we did a video um like five transitions in like 100 seconds or something yeah and like in camera transitions and oh, i had cool. the whole thing like storyboarded that. and it we went out and it took 15 minutes to film the whole thing yeah like with like bts and stuff and i was like that was super quick and super efficient and like definitely showed me the value of like pre-production totally mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like um the busier that we get we're shooting almost every day now so you have to be really efficient on when you're shooting because one you're spending tons of time getting b-roll or shooting in general two you have to transfer those cards off onto a hard drive but when we're shooting one shoot a day or two three shoots a day and we're shooting now on production cameras those file sizes are huge and that's costing you money as a business owner to mm. put those in hard drives so you kind of just have to be very distinctive on what you're shooting and if it supports the story or not mm. and if it doesn't don't shoot it <laughs> exactly and i guess one thing to note is that like if you're starting out you're probably going to end up shooting a lot more than you think oh, shoot you as much as you can yeah honestly when you're starting out shoot everything everything is b-roll yeah exactly i love that yeah <laughs> but at some point you do get to tweak it right and make it a little bit more refined so that you don't end up like filling 13 different hard drives of mm-hmm. just b-roll that yeah, which isn't a bad thing mm-hmm. I, just, I just think at, at um at my point now of career wise is that's kind of where i'm at is where i'm trying to be more efficient um but in the early days especially you should see my original lightroom catalog i think i have one hundred and twenty thousand photos in there and that's just like over a year so it's just like i shot as much as i could and a lot of it was just like messing around and trying to find my style and that takes a lot of time and effort and once you find it then then you're good but it takes a lot of time to kind of get to that point and that's what i that's the biggest tip i recommend to anyone that dms me on instagram or sends me a message request is just like you gotta you gotta shoot like Mm -hmm. you can try to emulate people and try to get the same style but you just gotta go out there and shoot and just shoot as much as you can Mm -hmm. who have you kind of figured out as like you tried to emulate at the time and towards developing your own stuff um i can name kind of like my my favorite creators Mm -hmm. as a whole and who I kind of look up towards. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey Neistat is a classic. I remember when Casey Neistat didn't really post on YouTube besides his like bike lanes video, which is the OG. And now he's kind of, um, he's different now, but that's okay. He's grown. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, his storytelling abilities are something that I've never seen before in a person. And they're just raw and they're they're genuine. So I really like Casey Neistat for that. Uh, Paul Nicklin is a Nat Geo photographer. Um, he's based in BC, I think. And he does lots of work um, all across the world, but he he's in Antarctica, he's in the Arctic, he's with polar bears. But what I really liked and like about Paul Nicklin's images is that he often has a story behind them. So, because um, most Nat Geo photographers, when they're on assignment, you're shooting for a specific purpose and you have to tell that story with one image. So when you're in the Arctic and you're talking about global warming and you see a frail dying polar bear, that's on a thin piece of ice. That's what he captured and that's what he published. He ended up getting a lot of crap for this because people made the argument that maybe it wasn't because of global warming, but 
Um, either way, that photo told a story and told mm-hmm. the narrative, which was his job. So I really look up to Paul Nicklin for that. Uh, Chris Picard is a classic. He's this like travel photo, right? He's this travel adventure, and the way he captures landscapes and make them makes them look like they're pieces of art with their patterns, naturally occurring patterns across the world and across landscapes. It's absurd. So I definitely look up to that aspect of Chris. And then in recent years, I've actually looked up a lot to Short Stash, um, just in terms of his dark moodiness. I feel like oftentimes people try to make a photo look perfect and bright and you know perfectly lit. And that's something where coming from weddings where it has to be like that or coming from commercial where it has to look like that. I was like, you know what? Maybe it's okay to kind of show that I can, I can be moody. Yeah. I can be like naturally. It's like, I'm not always like bubbly. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty bubbly as a person. I'm always smiling. But I just mean like, it's okay. I love dark tones. That's kind of when I shifted more dark tones into my work. And, and I feel like it's more genuine representing myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one caveat that I have to say because we just shot a wedding recently and they asked us directly, like, can you make it moody oh, cool. and dark? And Those I was are the like, best clients. this is the best client we've ever had. Like, mm-hmm. like this is it. Cause it, there is an audience for that and there is a market for that. And totally. if that's what represents you, obviously then you go for it. Right? Yeah. And I feel like if you're able to kind of mix the worlds together, my favorite wedding that I shot was in uh, just outside of Boston a couple summers ago. And essentially um, I met this couple, they're my good friends now, they're named Karen and Chris, and I met them in South America. And then they ended up reaching out and flew me out to Boston to shoot their wedding. And their wedding was the best. It was at an old summer camp. And basically I just gave GoPros to a bunch of guests and had them fil- film raw organic footage, filmed on my phone, brought the drone and the camera, but kind of just made like a fun mix of just like an actual wedding and stuff that they're not gonna see because they're preoccupied on their wedding day. Yeah. So it was just like, that felt awesome. That was my favorite wedding video I've made. Wait, that's freaking genius. It was awesome. Like, just like just... raw, organic. And obviously you mix it in, you, you do, your, oh, yeah. do your work editing, but it was just, it mm-hmm. felt just so genuine for what the day was. That's super cool. And I've never thought about like handing GoPros to guests before. That's actually yeah. brilliant. Like, Look for the loudest ones in the group. And be like you, sir. <laughs> you've got yeah. a good, you've got a good perspective on the rest of this. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one thing I'd like to ask, and as much as you're comfortable with, maybe something that you could name was the hardest thing that you had to overcome when you started out this journey and kind of how you went about it. Mm. So I'm going to go like super deep on this one. Um, but I feel like it kind of defines me and my actions as a person. So when I was 17, my mom died and she was killed in a car accident. It was very sudden. And, um, it was one of those defining moments in my life. And I think the older I get, I'm starting to realize how defining that was, but I feel like since that happened, I've been very intentional on what I do and I don't like doing things at anything but 110%. So when I chose photography and I chose to, you know, go into photography full time, instead of going to a corporate job after university, I went a hundred percent. And, um, like I said before, sometimes you have to sacrifice things to get that. But I feel like that kind of defines me as a person, which is shitty because you don't want to let a death define you as a person, but the lessons you learn from that mm-hmm. is something that I'm, you know, I'm proud to be defined by. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super awesome. And even for me personally, like hearing that you pretty much went all in, like in university as a university student. Mm-hmm. And I remember like what I was thinking at the time was like, what is the most safe play that I could make? Yeah, and totally. not really focusing on like, what, what do I really like? What and makes you happy? Exactly. What makes me happy? And how can I go like pot committed into it and hearing you like, this is all my tuition. I'm going to go buy the most advanced, the best in line DSLR at the time, which is the 
Mark II, like 5D, 5D Mark, Mark II, II man. <laughs> yeah, but even for me, it's like it's super inspiring and makes me kind of realize like, you know, I could definitely go pot committed on something that makes me happy and it's much better than, you know, mm-hmm. for me personally, like not being so intentional about something that doesn't really inspire me or I get that. doesn't really excite and me. And there's times obviously where you have to do things where you don't technically want to do. That's part of life. Everyone has to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I've got to say, you do lose friends along the way um, mm-hmm. and your true friends stay with you. That's for sure. But in terms of like, if you have like a set goal and you're kind of sticking to it, there's times as a business owner, you know, um, even with co-pilot where it's like, we've worked long hours. You don't see your family or friends for a while because you're just kind of stuck in work mode and you kind of realize the the genuine people around you and the relationships you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, that's such a scary thing too, right? Is when you do have that goal that makes you happy, but the sacrifices of maybe even losing friends and stuff like that, it's very daunting. Yeah. You have to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the weight of each one and what it carries. Um, mm-hmm. because when you're looking at that, are you doing it? Are you setting yourself on fire to keep someone else warm? Is what I often, that's, I forget who told me that it's definitely like a famous Tumblr quote. That's always stuck with me. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, whether it's saying yes to every coffee that someone asks you to do and suddenly your schedule is pushed back, you're saying yes to hanging out. Sometimes it's totally acceptable to say no and mm-hmm. saying like, Hey, I can't do that right now. Um, hopefully we can reschedule soon. Um, mm-hmm. Or this, the people that understand are probably the ones you want to surround you in life. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think that's really good advice. And it's hard, but, you know, do consider. And once you figure out, like, that set goal, then it's much easier to kind of realize, like, I have to say no to these things. Otherwise, I sacrifice mm-hmm. what I'm actually aiming for. And what's your goal? Exactly. exactly. That's awesome. Um, I guess just to kind of slowly wrap things up, is there anything else that... Uh, has been on your mind lately that you wanted to bring to this pot being your first podcast man, i'm very honored <laughs> we're very honored thank you so much no worries i guess one last kind of blurb on that is there was times when i was focused completely on growing my account because that was my goal at the time and it wasn't to become like an instagram celebrity but it was to grow that platform so then i could in turn use that to attract other clients or you know um just like have a platform where i can share my voice but I feel like it's so easy to get focused on that, on growing a number on the internet. But you have to take a step back and kind of look at your real life and, and figure out what your intentions are and figure out if you're true to what you're putting out there. That's my biggest piece of advice. Um, again, like you see children that are on TikTok now and that's just like... Yeah, we're on TikTok. <laughs> TikTok I actually, I've like creeped from a distance on TikTok, um, but I don't understand the platform yet. So... Um, yeah, children on TikTok. <laughs> it's a thing. And it's yeah. like, we just, it's a very different generation. And even with us, it's like, you have to be true to who you are and be genuine and be intentional. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, is there any way that the audience can find and support your guys' work? Uh, yeah. Let me get to that. That's great. Um, if you have any questions at all about anything I've ranted on about today, uh, you can reach out to me on my Instagram. Uh, it's readov, R-E-I-D-O-V. Shoot me a message. Um, if there's a message request, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> I'm pretty notoriously bad at that. Um, but also, if, if you want to follow what we're doing at Copilot, you can check out our account on Instagram. It's Copilot Co. Um, and then our website is copilotcollective.com. That's awesome. Thanks so much for doing this, Reed. And yeah, don't worry, like he will eventually get to your message. It took me a year, so <laughs> you'll get there too. I screwed up, man. No, <laughs> no, we made it work. No, and this was sweet, and it was totally like worth wait, the whole wait, right? Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for doing this, man. No worries. Thank you. 
If you made it this far, thanks for listening to the episode. Consider giving us a rating on iTunes and subscribing to the podcast and sharing with your friends. Word of mouth always helps. If you want to dig further into anything we just talked about, send us a message on Twitter at 2M Creative Labs and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.